Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 28. Our text this morning is going to be Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Uh, But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray. Lord, you taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Come now and speak to us through your word. Grant unity to those who seek it and tend your lambs in this community so that the lost may enter into this house of worship and experience the presence of Christ through us. We ask this for his sake and in his name. Amen. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Kids, come up and join me. Welcome, welcome. All right, come on up, everybody. Actually, Isaac, can you give me a hand real quick? Can you grab that chair right there and bring it over here? Yeah, you get, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, it's kind of heavy, isn't it? Here, let's do it together. Uh, Ready? Oh, even more help. Hey, there we go. Okay. Okay, we we're getting it done together. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Whew. Isaac. That was a hard job, wasn't it? Yeah. Kind of heavy. May, maybe a little too much to do by yourself. Maybe. Just a little bit. Well, I know how you feel. There are some jobs that are just too big for any of us. And we need help to do it. Uh, in, in the passage that we just read... Jesus gives his followers, including you and me, a job to do. He tells us to go and share the good news about Jesus with everyone, everywhere, so that those people can learn to follow Jesus too. They can trust him. They can follow him and begin to live in his kingdom. It is a huge job. Actually, it is an impossible job impossible for us to do on our own, kind of like Isaac moving that chair or, you know, things that are just too big for any of us. But just like I was with Isaac to help him, Jesus makes a wonderful promise to us. He says, I am with you. It's like he's saying, look, I know that this job is too much for you, but don't be afraid because we're going to do this together. Jesus is saying that no matter what you are going through today, He is with us in it. 
as his people, we never face anything alone. We, we might have to go through some things that are hard or painful. We, we might become very aware of how small and weak we really are. But Jesus remains strong and he's with us to help us. And if he's with us, then we don't need to be afraid of anything, right? And so let's learn to listen to what Jesus says and believe him and trust him. And we, we can do the things that he tells us to do, not because we're so smart or good or strong, but because Jesus is all of those things and more. He's our king and he's with us. And that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seats. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the end of Matthew's Gospel. On the heels of Easter, it is good for us to consider what happened next in the story. Because the rising of the crucified Jesus from among the dead means that from that moment onward, the kingdom of God is being reestablished in this world. The serpent's head is crushed. He who had the power of death is being destroyed. What was lost is being recovered. What was broken is being restored. And it's all because the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep has taken it up again. It is impossible for us to overstate the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. Understanding all that it means for us is going to take eternity. But here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, we are meant to see a particularly important part of the big picture. Because as Paul writes in Romans 1, it is precisely in his rising from the dead that Jesus is openly acknowledged by God to be the Son of God in power. To say it another way, to all people everywhere, Jesus is announced to be the king over the kingdom of God. Because he suffered death for us, ransoming us by his own blood for God, God has lifted him up, lifted his name above every other name, such that King Jesus alone is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That is why Jesus can stand on the top of this mountain with his disciples and claim, as he does in verse 18, to possess all authority in heaven and on earth. He's done what no one else could do, and so he has what no other person has, the right to rule over everything. Today, the authority of Jesus over all people and places is a source of both great joy and great offense. It is great joy for those who see in Jesus present grace and future hope. His authoritative words about our identity in Him and His purpose for us, those words are life itself. But there's also great offense taken by those who hear from Jesus a challenge to their own desired autonomy, self-rule. 
Now, if Jesus was merely a man who lived and died like the rest of humanity, then it would be right to reject his authority. But that's just where his resurrection makes all the difference. As Tim Keller famously wrote, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept everything that he said. If he did not rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. As Philip preached to us on Easter Sunday, it is a historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. To reject that is to shut one's eyes and to say that the sun stopped shining. And because Jesus lives now and reigns as king over all, everything that he says matters. And so we're going to listen to him. And we're going to consider a couple of questions to help us understand this passage and what it means for us today. First, what does our king say to us? And then second, how can you do it? First, what does Jesus say to us? Here on the mountain, he calls his followers to two things. First, to a mission. And second, to an entire way of life. So listen to the mission. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This, of course, is the Great Commission, also known as the Grand Command. With a king's authority, Jesus tells his disciples to go make disciples of all nations. As they go with the gospel of Jesus, who is himself Abraham's offspring, God is going to be fulfilling his promise to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. As the, the nations embrace Jesus, that sundering and separation that happened because of human rebellion at Babel is going to be undone. We, we saw a lot of that happening already when we were studying in the book of Acts recently. People from every nation and tribe and tongue being brought together through faith in Jesus into the one people of God. And that's part of why Jesus commands them to baptize those who believe the message of the gospel. Because in the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, God is promising and picturing and confirming that whoever comes to Christ in faith has already passed through judgment into life. That they are united to Christ in an unbreakable bond. As they share in Abraham's faith, so they will share in all the blessings that God promised to Abraham. Being justified by faith in him. Set apart from the world as belonging to God. Welcomed into the family of God as beloved and secure children, both now and in the age to come. Then and now, this is the mission of the church, of the people of God. Jesus calls us into the work of making disciples of Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. We tell people of the love and plan of God the Father from the foundations of the world, this plan to rescue sinners 
He, we tell people how God the Son came and humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, but rose again so that we might be forgiven of all the wrong that we have done, so that we might be reconciled to God and adopted into his family. We, we tell people the good news that the Spirit of God is moving like the wind in this world, applying the new life of Jesus to whoever believes in him. It doesn't matter what someone was or what someone has done. Anyone who comes to Jesus in faith will never be cast out. Through this, Jesus is calling all kinds of people to believe in him and enter into new life with him. And he tells us to be about that very mission. And that's why here at Trinity, we seek to put the gospel of Jesus, the good news about him, at the center of everything that we do. We gather on Sundays to hear it again and believe it again and worship him who passed through death for us and yet lives now as our shepherd king. We, we seek to know him and what he's done better and better. We do that through our small groups and our Wednesday evening classes. We, we support missions that advance the good news about Jesus both near and far. Because our mission is to make disciples of this Jesus who sacrificed himself in our place. Who has subdued us by his grace. And who reigns over us with love. But as vital as this mission of making disciples is, the preaching of the gospel is not the end of the work. Rather, the announcement of Jesus' kingship and his grace towards sinners is actually the foundation upon which we build our entire life. Here, I, I want you to consider the second thing that Jesus says to us. Listen, as he calls us to an entire way of life. Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptizing them. And then he adds, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. This is where Keller's quote about accepting all that Jesus said if he really rose from the dead is so illuminating because Jesus says far more to us than I'm saving you from your sins. He says far more to us than that. If we pay attention to all that he has commanded us, we will hear that there is no part of our lives that lie outside the scope of his lordship or his authority. We must listen as he says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We need to listen to him when he says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. We must listen to Jesus as he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. We must listen to him when he says, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. We have to listen to him when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. We have to listen to him when he says, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We obviously can't recount this morning everything that Jesus teaches us, but you get the point. As we preach the good news of Jesus to people, we must help them understand that Jesus is more than a Savior. He is also the Lord. He's the King. And because life itself was His idea, we must listen and learn from Him how it works. And to the extent that we do that, that we believe in Him and submit to Him and seek to obey Him, we will begin to experience the eternal kind of life today. Life as God intended it to be in the beginning and how it will be in the end when He makes everything new and right. Of course, before we teach others, we must seek ourselves to be like that parson in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. It was said of that good pastor that first he wrought and after he taught. In other words, we must first practice what we preach before we preach it. And so listening to the words of Jesus in the Gospels, hearing what he says through his apostles who spoke with his authority, submitting to God's instructions to his people throughout the Old Testament, listening to all of this, we understand that his call is so much bigger than just seeking conversions or talking about forgiveness by his blood. We must say those things, but we must say more than those things. Jesus calls us to seek for ourselves and teach others an entirely new way of life. We must listen to all that Jesus commands because He is both Savior and Sovereign Lord. He is both Rescuer and Royal Lawgiver. Trusting in Him who loved us and gave Himself up for us, we seek to live in joyful obedience to Him. And that too is a part of our mission here at Trinity. We are about the work as Philip said earlier, of making and equipping mature disciples of Jesus. By listening to all that Jesus says, we are learning to live as his followers in every facet of life, whether it has to do with money or sex or just the ordinary grace, <laughs> the ordinary grace that we need as we live together in the same room as sinners. Listening to Him, we learn to value what our King values. Listening to Him, we are learning to align our definitions of goodness and greatness and even success. We're learning to align ours with Jesus' definitions of all those things. You have to understand, Jesus calls us into 
this kind of life because it is the same life that he himself lived when he walked in this world. And you can tell that it's real life by the beauty of it and the goodness of it. When you see Jesus living a life of compassion and mercy and joy, when you see Jesus doing justice and confronting the wrongs of this world and setting things right, when you see Jesus welcoming little children and caring for widows and enjoying a meal with his friends, he is showing you what eternal life looks like. And so if you're convinced that obedience to all that Jesus taught actually leads to the good life. And if you want to actually live that way, then we need to consider that second big question. How can you do it? How can you do it? This is an important question because both the mission of making disciples and the call to total life discipleship can feel like impossible tasks. When Jesus commands, connect with the world that we inhabit, we feel the weight of this call, kind of like Isaac felt the weight of that chair. Because how can you convince someone else that the gospel is really true? Can I give them eyes to see the grace of the king and his kingdom? What about when they resist? What about when they reject? What about when the goodness of Jesus is called evil by the world? How can I make a disciple out of someone who is blind to the beauty of Jesus? Do, do I have the ability to make a spiritually dead person understand that Jesus alone has the words of life? But not only does the initial making of a disciple feel like an impossible task, teaching others to observe all that he has commanded feels about the same. Like we heard last week, Jesus commands us saying, don't be anxious about what you need in this life. But can I just turn off the anxiety that pulses through a person's heart and mind? Can I cause a husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church? Can I convince a kid that his identity does not come from what others think of him, but from Christ who made him and saves him? Can can you make a believer believe that she shares in the responsibility for her dysfunctional relationships? And that spiritual maturity often looks like being the lead repenter in a relationship. For that matter, how am I doing in all those things myself? Am I able to make my own heart believe that living as Jesus commanded is better than following my own ideas? Looking back on my life, it seems to me that I have a pretty solid track record of living like Paul does in Romans 7, doing the things that Jesus says are deeply wrong and failing to do the things that Jesus says are good and right. If you are like me, then Jesus' words about our mission and our lives as his disciples, these words can actually provoke some fear and worry. 
Because as soon as we hear them, we, we become aware that we have failed time and time again to do them. The king has spoken, but we struggle to do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, where is there room for hope? For people like you and me who struggle to do what Jesus has told us to do, there is good news. Jesus is very aware of how impossible it is for us to accomplish this mission and live life on our own, live this life on our own. And he understands the fear and the worry that rises in our hearts when we understand, when we realize that we in ourselves are not sufficient for these things. And so after he gives us our mission and calls us to follow him in everything, he speaks a word that is the answer to all of our fears. Look at the end of verse 20. Your king says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't let any of his words fall to the ground. Each word, each phrase is meant for your comfort, for your hope. Jesus says, Behold, because he's inviting you to look at things from his perspective rather than from your own. All we see sometimes is our lack, our shortcomings, our weakness. But Jesus is saying, I know. Look, I am going to supply you with everything that you need. And what is it that we need? We need the king himself. And so that's exactly what he gives. Jesus says, I am with you. There is no future tense I will be with you here. There is no conditional presence promised, like I might be with you if you will just get yourself together. No, Jesus promises his present and continuous presence with his people. And think back on what that, would, what that means for you. When God promised his presence with his people in the past, what did that mean for them? In the garden before the fall, God was with his people and their connection to their creator was life itself. And after the fall, when our first parents tried to find life apart from God, but found only deep want and death, what did it mean that God was with them, pursuing them, still speaking promises of a coming rescuer and even clothing their nakedness? This is the same God who was with Noah, promising to never again cut, all life, cut off all life from the earth. He's the same God who was with Abraham too, promising to be his God and the God of his offspring. And from that point forward in the story, the phrase, I will be with you, it becomes like a motto, a memorable saying that will precede some of the most significant events in biblical history. What did the presence of God with them, what did that mean for Isaac? What did it mean for Jacob? What did it mean for Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness? 
What did it mean for Joshua in the conquest of Canaan? For David in the valley of the shadow of death? For Isaiah who heard God is coming to be with his people. How God was with them is how Jesus is with you. Mighty to save. Washing you clean continuously. Clothing you with power from on high so that you can do what he calls you to do. That's what he wants us to trust and rest in. It's as he said in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed. Another points out how Jesus prayed that we would be in him and he would be in us. This is extreme closeness. Jesus prayed that we would be in his presence. And then he went to the cross to make it happen. This is our hope. That Jesus who speaks of his love and faithfulness has proven them definitively. The cross speaks louder than our fears, telling us just how committed God is to being with his people. No, the, the cross does not answer all of our questions, but the truth that it conveys about God and his love is irrefutable. Jesus went to the cross so that you could be with him and he could be with you. And this is not a momentary kind of presence, but the forever kind. Jesus says he will be with you always. He is with you always. Every moment of every situation, no matter how dark, he is with you. When you're at work, when you're at school, when you're at home, when you're changing diapers, or changing oil in the car, when you're fumbling with an apology, or you're facing death, when you're sharing the reason for the hope that is within you with a friend, or when you're trying to teach your kids what it means to belong to Jesus, Jesus is with you. His is the kind of presence that is real and true, even now, in every moment. How, we wonder sometimes, didn't Jesus speak this word and then immediately ascend to heaven and sit at God's right hand? How can it be that he's there and here at the same time? Well, Jesus tells us how he will be with us until he comes again, because the Spirit is Jesus' presence with us. I confess here that there's a lot that I don't understand. But the word that says, the Lord is the Spirit, that's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 3, the Lord is the Spirit. It means that if God has sent the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts, then today you are experiencing the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. And our expectation is that we will continue to do so as long as this life endures. As long as we go about the work that, God, that Jesus gave us, He will be with us until that work is done. Because, as He says, He will be with us always to the end of the age. 
As you and I live in this present evil age, we know that everything depends on the presence of Jesus with us. One said, without his presence, we cannot be like him. We cannot be empowered to contribute to his growing kingdom. We cannot, be, uh, we cannot know security or comfort. But with the presence of Jesus comes the power to fulfill the mission that he has given us. With his presence comes the strength and, to, and the grace to pursue a life of total discipleship to Jesus and often fail miserably. And then rest in his grace and turn back to him and get up and try again. In this way, Jesus' promise to be with us, it, it can never act as a sedative for us. It can't make us complacent in the here and now. Far from it. Christ with us is actually our greatest incentive to endeavor, to press on, to obey him until we see his face. And he tells us that day is coming soon. Today, Jesus is with us to save us, to wash us clean by his grace. Today, he is with us to strengthen us from, for, the word that he, for the work he has given us to do. Just like I was with the kids to help them do what he couldn't do on his own. But God with us in the spirit, in the here and now, God with us in the spirit is not how this story ends. As Jesus himself said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Our king is coming again. God intends to dwell with his people once again. But until he does, we have his promise that he is with us. He is with us as we seek to fulfill our mission through the spirit-empowered preaching of his word. He is with us as we listen and as we learn to obey him in all that he has taught. It, it's true that it's going to be slow. You and I have a lot of unlearning to do. But because he is with us, we have everything we need for this journey. And that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father, you know how fearful we often are. We hear your word spoken through your son and we are aware of our sin and our weakness. But Jesus answers all our fears as he promises that he is with us. And so help us to believe and rest in him. And make us strong to do the work that he has given, to live the life he teaches us to live. Help us to privilege his voice above every other voice and to repent quickly when we fail. Returning again to see the holes in his hands and feet and side so that we can remember his grace and know that whatever he says to us flows from his deep love for us. Father, we ask that you would use us in each other's lives so that we might listen to him and believe in him together. Let us encourage each other 
in every situation that the Lord is at hand. Yes, we know that He is coming soon, but He is at hand now, near us, with us, so that we are never alone. For this we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in you we put all our confidence and hope, praying as those who belong to Jesus. Amen.